Um, again, my name is Ben Sternke. Um, I am a co-pastor, co-planter uh, of a church here in the Indianapolis area called The Table. Um, if you were here last week, my co-pastor, Matt Tebby, uh, was preaching for you, and so uh, I'm glad to be here. That's the nice thing about co-pastoring is Matt can take care of uh, getting worship started for us uh, at, at our church, and I can join him later. Um, so it's wonderful to be here with you. Um, uh, I've known Nate for Nate was one of the first pastors I met uh, when we first moved to Indianapolis, and uh, he's become a good friend, and I'm honored uh, to be here with you today to preach. Um, our text, I'm going to preach from Luke 10, 38 through 42, and uh, I'm going to read it for us. This is the story, the well-known story of Mary and Martha, and uh, so I'll just let's listen to the text here, and we'll pray, and then uh, we'll hear some good news about this. While Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself. Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. Let's pray. O oh God, our King, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by this victory, forgive our sins, banish our fears, make us bold to praise you and to do your will, and steal us to wait for the consummation of your kingdom on the last great day. And help us today to hear your word, to hear the good news that you want to proclaim to us. Give us faith to respond with a yes, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, the good news uh, that we proclaim today is this, that Jesus is speaking a word that disrupts and reshapes the world in the goodness of God. And there's a place for you to sit at his feet and to receive this word for yourself, to receive this disruptive, life-giving, world-creating word that Jesus is speaking. There's a place for you to sit at his feet and to receive that so you can let go of your anxious clinging to preconceived notions about what needs to happen next, what must be done now. You can let go of those things and sit at his feet and hear the word that he speaks, which is recreating the world and can recreate your world. Amen? So uh, I'm, I'm an over-responsible type. Can anybody relate? Most of us when we're over-responsible, we don't think we're being over-responsible, though, right? We think we're being appropriately responsible. Anybody know anybody like this? Most of the time, you know somebody who's over-responsible. So this is what that means. I assume things are up to me. I reflexively spring into action when there are important things to be done. I assume, well, this is probably my job. I should probably do this because I'm sort of good at it, and it needs to be done. Yeah? So some of you can relate to this, yes? Some of you know somebody who's like this, yes? Uh, and I used to think it was an altogether positive quality. 
I don't know if you can relate to this as well. If, if you do relate to that and you think, yes, I am responsible, and isn't that wonderful for everybody around me? Uh, I hate to burst your bubble, but it is not a positive quality to be over-responsible. I thought, you know, I would just, that would be how I would bless the people around me, by taking, you know, kind of doing my duty, doing my job, taking up responsibility to bear these burdens on my shoulders. And this definitely shows up, this is a heady cocktail for a pastor, by the way, because peop, there's needy people everywhere, right, as a pastor. And so there's, there's all kinds of opportunities for us as pastors, for us as leaders to kind of step in and carry people's burdens and help them out. So it definitely shows up in my work as a pastor. Um, I just got back from a couple weeks vacation, and whenever I go on vacation, I realize how many little things I do in our church that I, I just assumed it was my job. I just started doing it, and then I put it in my planner, and I do it every week, and nobody else knows that I'm doing it because I just assumed it was my job. But when it's time to go on vacation, all of a sudden somebody else has to do it, and I find that, that wow, there are so many things that I've just taken responsibility for that I now have to find someone else uh, to kind of do this job. And so uh, that's just kind of how things go. And so this happened a couple weeks ago when I went on vacation. I realized, wow, there's a lot of these things uh, that I do. And this can tend to produce resentment in me. Anybody relate to this? I'm, doing, I'm working harder than everybody around here. Why isn't, everybody, why isn't anybody else picking up uh, the slack for me? So I realized before I headed on vacation a few weeks ago that there was a tiny part of me that fantasized a little bit about our worship services going very badly while I was gone, <laughs> right? Just a little part of me that, that was like, you know, it'd be, it'd be it, I just fantasized about how people, that things would go badly and they'd be like, man, we sure need Ben around here, right? Um, I wanted people to realize how much I did, how necessary I was to the church. I realized this when I got back and I asked some of our leaders about how things went and they kind of shrugged and they were like, pretty good. You know, and there's a little part of me that died inside. I was like, so what am I, chopped liver? Am I not needed around here, right? So it, what it revealed was that, oh, me taking responsibility and being over-responsible like this, this isn't really about you. It's not really about the church. It's not really about me loving you by serving you. This is about me trying to get my needs met by serving you. Does that make sense? I wanted the satisfaction of knowing how useful I was to my community. So it's actually more about me than it is about God or others. My, my, my compulsion to take on these burdens isn't an act of love, even though I can paint it that way really easily. Oh, just I, I'm just self-sacrificial. <laughs> That's not an act of love. It it's actually a way for me to try to get a need met, a need that I have for security or affirmation or belonging or significance. I assume there's a way to get these things and that I'm going to make myself useful, to show myself capable. And if I do that, well, then God and others will want me around if I do a job well. I don't know if you guys can relate to this. This isn't the strategy that all of us use, of course. Some of us have different ways of going about this, but we're all seeking a sense of security. Am I safe? We all need to know that at a very fundamental level. We're all, we're all seeking a sense of belonging. Do people want me around? Do people like me? Are people happy when I show up in a room? And we all want a sense of significance. Do I matter? We all want these things, and we all have different strategies that we're employing to try to get these things from God 
and from others. Some, like me, try to prove ourselves useful, helpful, competent, capable, powerful, wise. Others of us try to be impressive or unique. Some of us try to be thoughtful, always having a wise thing to say. Some of us try to be loyal. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with you no matter what. Others of us try to be the life of the party. I'm going to be fun. Others of us try to stay in charge and in power and in control. Others of us try to slip into the background and just make sure we're not a problem. Try not to be noticed. Whatever it is, we all have these assumptions about what it is that needs to happen next for me to get what I need, for to get God and others to give us what we think we need. And that seems to me to be what's happening in this passage with Martha. And we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. Martha, like me, I think is a little bit of an over-responsible type, right? She takes responsibility for what she seems needs to happen to, to serve Jesus well. We've got this rabbi, this teacher coming into town, and we're going we're gonna to put out the best china. We're going to make a great meal. We're going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to take out the best wine. We're going to there's all of these things that she assumes this is how we welcome Jesus, and this is, what's, this is what it's going to, you know, need to take place here. And she ends up resenting the fact that her sister, Mary, doesn't seem to share these assumptions, and neither does Jesus. He's not doing anything about it either. But friends, we're proclaiming good news today, that this, that Jesus is speaking a word to us today that disrupts and reshapes the world in the goodness of God. And there's a place for us to sit at his feet and receive this word. So we can let go of our anxious striving after the next thing that we think needs to be done in order to get belonging, security, significance. We can let go of those things, sit at Jesus' feet and receive his life-giving, world-changing, convention-shattering word. He's speaking it today and we can receive that word and it reshapes our whole world when we take the time to listen for it. So our text says that a woman named Martha, as Jesus and his disciples were going along, welcomed him as a guest. Hospitality was a big deal in the ancient world, a very big deal. In fact, if you look uh, earlier in Luke 10, uh, it's the sending of the 72, where Jesus is talking all about hospitality. He's saying, I want you to go and proclaim the kingdom, but who do you proclaim the kingdom to? You, you look for a person who will receive you. That's hospitality. You look for a person who will welcome you, who will make space for you, who says, okay, you can be in my home, and here, I'll serve you my food, and then you proclaim good news to that person. You heal the sick. You start there. You don't move around from house to house. You stay in the place where they receive you. So hospitality is in that story. And then Jesus goes on uh, to talk with an expert in the law about who is my neighbor, right? This question, and Jesus gives him the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is also about hospitality. The Good Samaritan creates space for the person who is broken uh, beside the side of the road. And here again, this little story is about hospitality, where as Jesus and his disciples were going along, Martha becomes a person of peace to Jesus and the disciples and welcomes him as her honored guest. And what this passage is showing us is what the kind of hospitality that Jesus enjoys, the kind of hospitality that Jesus wants from us. The text goes on, she, it says she had a sister, Martha, had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his word. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. Another translation says, 
by all the preparations that had to be made. So, Martha came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. So we see here a contrast between the two ways that these two women have responded to Jesus' presence in the home. Mary sits at his feet and listens to his message, listens to his word. But Martha becomes preoccupied, distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. You catch that in there? She is compelled. There's a compulsion. This isn't a choice that she makes from a place of rest out of an act, in an act of love towards Jesus. This is a compulsion that she feels. This is a responsibility that she has taken on herself. She has assumed what it means to welcome Jesus, and she has taken that responsibility on, and she is upset that Mary has not shared those re- assumptions and taken on the same responsibilities to welcome Jesus. And worse yet, Jesus seems to be happy for this to be taking place. (laughs) He's not saying anything about this injustice either. This passage has often been used to kind of contrast prayer and housework. You know, prayer is more important than housework. Amen. You know, let us pray. Right? That's not what this passage is doing. Okay? That's not what it's saying. Uh, It's not a passage uh, that that is contrasting prayer and housework. Um, It's not a contrast between active service and passive listening. This is a contrast between Martha's anxious agitation because her expectations are not being met and Mary's open receptivity to the word of Jesus that changes things. So Martha's problem is not that she's busy. That's not what the text says. Jesus says, you're worried and upset. He doesn't say, Martha, Martha, you're too busy. Relax. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about all the things that need to happen. But only one thing is required. So Martha's problem is not that she's busy. Martha's problem is that she's anxious. She's agitated. Because she assumes what needs to happen. It's not happening. She assumes it's all up to her to get this thing done. And Mary's not helping me. And so it overflows into this resentment that she accuses then Jesus of not caring and accuses Mary of not helping. Look at all these things that have to be done. Neither you, Jesus, nor my sister Mary seem to be care about any of this stuff. I'm doing all the work around here. Worse yet, this passage shows us something that's... uh, Today, we don't think of it as any big deal, but back then, it would have been a really big deal for Mary to sit at the feet of Jesus because that's the position of a disciple. And that, in the ancient world, was the man's world. The men sit at the feet of the master and learn to be a teacher because that's part of what it means to be a disciple. It's not just a groupie. Mary's not a groupie here like, wow, Jesus is so you know, brilliant, so handsome. That's not what Mary's doing here. Sitting at the feet of someone as a disciple means my assumption is I will become like the teacher. I'm going to become the teacher one day. So she is bucking all kinds of social convention by sitting at Jesus' feet. How did she get that idea? Well, there's something about, it seems, Jesus' presence that convinces her to take the risk to cross this boundary, to enter into a world that was only occupied by men and say, 
I think I can be here too. And that's part of the offense for Martha as well. She's like, what in the world is going on with my sister? She's not helping. And she assumes she can be a teacher like the rest of those disciples. The openness that Mary has towards Jesus takes her beyond the boundaries of social convention and indicates that those of low status, those on the margins of society, and women would have been included in that group of people, they need not be defined by their low status, but they too are invited to receive this world-changing word that Jesus speaks. But Martha, by contrast, is completely absorbed in her preconceived notions about how she and her sister are supposed to honor their guest. She's offended by what Mary's not doing and by now how Jesus himself doesn't seem to care. And so she finally boils over into this phrase that's deeply ironic because she says, Lord, and then proceeds to tell him what to do, <laughs> right? Lord, don't you care? So first of all, there's the accusation. Don't you care that my sister's left me to do all of this work all by myself? Tell her to help me. She assumes she, needs, she knows what needs to happen. She assumes this is how the world works. This is what needs to happen next. I know what we need to do to welcome Jesus, and it's, it's, she's upset because it's not working according to her plans. But Jesus then, he's been speaking this word to Mary and to the rest of the disciples, and he turns to Martha, and he speaks to her the same life-giving words and says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the better part, and it won't be taken away from her. So Jesus speaks now as Lord. The Lord answers to indicate the kind of hospitality he's interested in. Not just good food, not just a clean house, not just good wine, but the openness and receptivity to his word that Mary exemplifies. He says, this is what it means to welcome me, is to listen, listen to what I'm saying. I'm speaking a word that comes from the very heart of God that's going to reshape the whole world around the goodness of God. That's how you welcome me. Don't just give me good food. Don't just serve me in the ways that you think you ought to serve me. Listen to me and respond. Be open to what I'm saying because I'm speaking a word that's reshaping everything. And that's what Mary exemplifies here. She's open to this creative, disruptive power inherent in Jesus' word. Martha's trapped inside of her own notions about how to serve Jesus, what needs to happen next. I know how to serve Jesus but it's not working out very well, and it's making me very upset. <laughs> and she ironically gets angry with Jesus for not cooperating with her plans for how to serve him. Jesus, don't you see, I'm trying to, I'm trying to serve you a good meal here, but we're not going to eat until 10 p.m. unless Mary gets off her butt, starts helping me. Isn't that ironic? She's trying to serve Jesus, and she gets mad at Jesus because he's not cooperating with how she wants to serve him. And Jesus gently redirects her, says, I don't need all of that. What I need is for you to listen to me. That's how you welcome me. That's how you receive me. Receive my word. And you know what? This is what Mary has chosen to do, and I'm not going to take it away from her. So Jesus defends the space where somewhat of low status in that society, Mary, a woman, comes to Jesus and says, 
I want to hear what you have to say. I want to listen. I want to see what you'll say to me that will be surprising and disruptive and creative and shaping for my life. And Jesus says, I'm not going to take that away from anybody who chooses to do that with me. Because we don't live by bread alone, but by the words that come from the mouth of God, and that is what Jesus is speaking to us. This word from Jesus' mouth is what we need. This is what gives life. This is what recreates the world. And it's what we need. Jesus is speaking a word to us, and it reshapes the world in the goodness of God. And there's a place for you today to sit at his feet and receive the word, the creative, disruptive word that he's speaking. You can let go of your anxious striving after all the ways that you think you need to serve Jesus, all the ways that that's not working out for you. Let go. Listen to the word, this life-giving, world-shaping word that Jesus speaks. So what is it for you? What is your, Martha, she assumes Jesus wants a great meal and she's got to get the job done. I assume I got to, you know, be responsible and do, do all these things for these people, you know, in the church. I, I, you know, do all these things for God. I'm assuming that's, well, what is it for you? What are you worried and distracted by? What are you worried and upset by? What's the thing for you that you assume needs to be done? You assume God wants to be done but it's frustrating for you because it doesn't seem to be working out the way that you thought. Where are you encountering frustration and resentment in your life? That's an indication of a place where, gosh darn it, you've got the right thing to do here and it's just not working out. Where are you frustrated in your life and you're trying to convince God to act on your behalf? Maybe you care for somebody who's making bad choices. And you've been praying for them, but nothing seems to be changing. You're like, God, (laughs) what's going on? Where are you in the midst of it? Maybe you feel guilty because you're not able to spend as much time with your kids now that you've taken a job. You've got mom guilt. This often happens for women who go back to work after their kids are a little older. And you feel this pressure to be the perfect mom. You think that's what Jesus expects of you and you're dying underneath the pressure. Maybe you're not making as much money as you think you're supposed to be as the provider of the family. You're frustrated that it's so hard to find good work. Maybe you're angry with God because you've done all the right things. You've lived a good Christian life. You're trying to do the right things, but your kids seem to be losing their faith, or you've got a chronic illness that won't go away. And you think, you know what, God? I don't know if you've kept up your end of the bargain here. I thought we had a deal. Are you able to let go of that deal that you thought you made with God today and receive his word? Whatever that might be. It'll be creative, it'll be surprising, it'll be disruptive, it'll be shaping. It always is. But are you able to let go of that and receive his word today? One other example for me, um, our income tends to fluctuate. I'm bivocational, got the pastor, but we also run, run a company and so income is kind of up and down. I'm not... I feel like I've, I've been pastoring for a long time, and I feel like I've got a handle on, handle on that, but I'm not a very good business person yet. <laughs> I'm still figuring that one out. So our income tends to fluctuate, and when, whenever we encounter a shortfall, I feel this kind of tightening in my gut. I don't know if you guys can relate to this, or a, 
spinning in my mind or a racing in my heart. Or I just start thinking like, oh, man, I've got to do something about this. That, that some, something has to happen here, right? And I, I, I go into worried and distracted mode. And internally, I feel myself praying like Martha, Lord, don't you care that we have a shortfall this month? Don't you care that our savings are being slowly eaten into? <laughs> don't you care? Help me. But instead of letting myself go in that direction, I'm simply learning to open myself up to God. Trusting, okay, God's present, God's at work. <sighs> what word do you want to speak to me, Lord? I open my hands. I let go of this striving after a certain dollar amount. And just open myself up and see what the Lord says. See what new uh, possibilities open up for me. Surprising disruptions about my preconceived notions about how God's provision is going to work in my life. And as I drop my anxiety, as I quiet my spinning mind, as I relax my tightened gut, as I unclench my jaw, I find that I can actually hear this word. I can hear God say, I'm present, I'm working, and then I'll get a little idea. I'll be like, okay, well, I'll try that. Now I've got something to do today. Besides panic and pray. So what is it for you? I hope that you have something in mind. I hope that there's something that the Lord has been placing on your heart. And uh, to end the, our time in the word today, I want to do a little exercise that involves your body. I hope that's okay. We're not just brains on a stick, right? We're, we're human beings. Uh, and, the, and it's going to involve your hands. I don't know if you guys have ever done this before, but um, you're going to hold your hands, palms up, and then the second action we're going to do is palms down. I'll explain this more in a second. And then the third action we're going to do is palms back up. All of you guys are really good at this all so far. This is incredible. Uh, you don't even need any practice. Um, so, so here's what we're going to do. I, ju I just encourage you to close your eyes if it's helpful. And with your palms up, imagine whatever it is that you're distracted and worried about today. What is that for you? What's causing frustration for you? What's causing resentment? What's confusing for you? What's difficult for you right now? Where do you want to get God to do something? Hold that in your, uh, in, your, in, your, uh, in your palms, whatever it is. Feel yourself trying to get God to do something about this. How does it feel for you? And just in the quietness, uh, you can pray a prayer can do this internally or you can do this quietly out loud if you'd like. Lord, I confess that I'm worried and distracted today by, and name it. What is it for you? Just name what you're worried and distracted by today in the Lord's presence. Lord, I confess that I am worried and distracted today by all the preparations that need to be done for our church this fall, the plans that we have. And now, simply turn your palms over as an act of letting go. Let go of whatever it is that you're holding. 
drop your preconceived notions about what needs to happen, what the Lord should be doing. Just let those things go. Feel the weight of those things drop out of your hands, drop out of your life, drop off your shoulders. You can pray with me, Lord, I let go of my expectations about what you should be doing, about what I should be doing. Now turn your, your palms back up. Now you have empty hands. You've let go of that preconceived notion about what needs to happen. You've got empty hands. And now just open yourself up to the life-giving, world-creating word of Jesus. What good news is he speaking to you today? What do you need to receive from him today? Let's listen for a few moments in silence. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for making space for us at your feet. We confess that we are worried and distracted today by many things. And we pray that you would help us to let go of our preconceived notions and the things that we want you to be doing. And we open ourselves up today to your life-giving, world-creating, convention-disrupting word. Lord, help us to stay attentive to what you're saying to us and responsive to your goodness in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.